Welcome to the Stewardship Leader Podcast, brought to you by the Christian Stewardship Network. CSN exists to encourage, teach, and connect church and stewardship leaders to help them create and lead healthy stewardship ministries in their church. You can learn more about CSN at christianstewardshipnetwork.com. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Stewardship Leader. I'm your host, Leo Sabo. And with me today, I have the pleasure of having on the podcast, Jim Wise. Jim Wise is a friend of the ministry. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. But he is a senior partner and senior private wealth advisor for the private wealth division of Ronald Blue Trust. He also serves as the company's director of ministries. And recently, a friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours has connected us Uh, over an event that he's going to do, which I'm going to tell you more about in a little bit. But what I'm really excited about, which is part of what Jim's been doing, is Jim has been providing a major donor development training for leaders over 1,000 ministries uh, through his Expanding the Kingdom through Donor Discipleship Workshop. So I definitely want to talk about that, Jim. Jim, say hello to everyone, uh, and then we'll just dive right in. Hi, everybody. It's great to be with you. I appreciate the opportunity and my heart beats as does all of yours. I care desperately to see more and more of God's resources freed to do the work that he's left for the church to do. Awesome. Uh, Jim actually was one of our main speakers, uh, I think it was three years ago, right at the Christian Stewardship Network yes, Forum. Right. And he uh, he came out with a book called Inheritology. You guys got to get that book. Uh, great, great resource. He's also written a couple other books. So Jim is a wealth of information. Jim, before we dive into some of the questions that I have for you and talking about this workshop you've been working with, tell us a little bit about you. What's going on in your life? Something personal? Uh, where do you live? All of that. Tell us a little bit about who you are. Well, I am uh, married and live in Orlando. I work in the uh, Orlando branch office of Ronald Blue Trust. My wife and I have been in Florida. We've been with the firm for 26 years. Mm. Um, Most of my time was up in the Baltimore branch office, and we moved to Florida back in 2009. Uh, We have six adult kids and uh, six grandbabies with number seven due in June. Oh, that's fun. That's fun. I got four of those of my own, the grandkids, and it's Amen. just an incredible part of, of life to be experiencing that. So, Amen. well, that's awesome. Um, so, what really prompted me to call you and connect with you is finding out about an event that you're doing, uh, and it's called the Maximizing Generosity Through Donor Discipleship Webinar, and it's on May 27th at 10:30 a.m. Eastern Time. And I'll put a link in the show notes so anyone that's listening to this can join us. We'll also do some social media advertising so that you guys can uh, hopefully join us for that. Jim is going to share a part of what he's been doing, this workshop he's been doing and teaching many, many people, uh, this Expanding the Kingdom Through Donor Discipleship Workshop. So, Jim, let's just start with that. Tell us about what this workshop is. How did it come about so that we can get familiar with what you're doing? The driving force behind the workshop was taking all of the information that we've gotten back from our clients who are all major donors. Um, We've been serving them, discipling them, helping folks set financial finish lines in order to increase generosity. So for decades, we've had the privilege of serving Christians and helping them to be more generous. And through that discipleship interaction, Uh, We're learning from them 
what they want and don't want from the ministries that they're giving to, because almost all Christians who are generous in any way, everybody has limited resources in terms of what they're able to give. Mm -hmm. So a good question for the church and for ministries is what are the things that determine where their giving goes? Um, Donor attrition in church and to parachurch ministries is really, it's a little bit scary how transient givers are these days, mm-hmm. even, even in the local church. Wow. Uh, of course, in the local church, we see the same thing with people being transient just in terms of you go to a church, stay there for two or three years, then it's off to another church, then it's off to another. Yeah. Um, ministries tend to see the same thing. So but when when a donor gets frustrated with the church or with the ministry and stops giving, they'll always tell us what frustrated them, but they will never call the leaders back and say, let me tell you why I'm cutting you off. So the workshop, the genesis for the workshop is we need to take all this feedback that they're freely giving to us and share it with the church and ministry leaders so that they can more effectively disciple the donors that God has given them to shepherd. Yeah, how interesting that they would not feel comfortable going to the church where they've been giving and supporting or the ministry that they've been supporting. But obviously with their financial planner, they, they have those conversations because there's really no negative to that, right? I mean, there's it, there's no awkwardness to that for them. But I, I can understand how if I'm supporting a ministry and I don't feel like they're doing the best they can or or for whatever reason, uh, I'm, I'm deciding I no longer want to support that ministry, then it would be a hard conversation to have right? Uh, with them. So I can understand why they go to you guys. So how long have you been providing this training and coaching for church and ministry leaders to help inspire this greater generosity? And what initially motivated your desire to serve in this way? Well, the, the first workshop uh, that I did after drafting the curriculum was back in 2007, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've been doing the training for about 15 years and, and purely as my ministry of Ronald Blue Trust to churches and ministry leaders um, that we have built a relationship with. Um, the, the trigger, the thing that was keeping me awake at night and caused me to finally say, I, I need to do something about this was I had two instances, two experiences with my clients, two different client families, uh, both of whom we had gone through the process at financial finish lines. They were radically ramping up their generosity um, and there were we we talk not only about how much to give or strategic giving, but there are times when we're actually helping them kind of cast a vision for expanding the, the number and types of ministries that they're giving to. Um, so they both had picked a particular ministry that was on the radar for over a year for both families that they had researched. They could not wait to start giving money mm. and as soon as they called up and made the pledge, and in both cases, these were major gifts. Um, F, in, in the first case, after one interaction with a ministry leader, they were so distraught and disappointed, they cut it off and said they would never give to that ministry again. In the other case, the first interaction was okay. It was the second interaction that caused them to say, I don't ever want to talk to that ministry again. Mm. Uh, I literally, I was laying in bed at night. I couldn't imagine how faithful Christians to whom God had entrusted significant resources and wanted to give them away, had such a bad experience with the ministries they couldn't wait to give to that they did not want to give any money ever again to those ministries. 
So that's, that's what led me. Um, I started thinking in terms of how do we get the information that we've learned over the decades from our clients around generosity? How do we package that information and start giving it to the ministry leaders and pastors that are serving these folks? Because we've seen that discipleship as a model brings about transformation in the area of stewardship and generosity. Right. And that's, that's the reason that God has raised us up. The mission of Ronald Blue Trust is not to be another good advi financial advisory firm. There are zillions of those out there. God didn't need another one. Right. What God put on Ron Blue's heart back in 1979 was to help Christians become financially free in order to assist in fulfilling the Great Commission. Mm. So our firm exists for one reason, and that's to help inspire generosity, to funnel God's resources into the work that we all agree he's given us to do. Um, and my burden was outside of the families that I personally serve and, and am discipling and the advisors I'm training to help them do the same with their families, how can we really have exponential kingdom impact? And the answer that came through a lot of prayer and thought was, if we can package this information and get it to the ministry leaders and help them to do the same thing, I'll never meet the donors. I don't care about that. But if, if generosity increases across the board, Jesus' mission is accomplished because all of our missions are accomplished. And ultimately, mm -hmm. the mission at Ron Blue is accomplished, right. even though from my perspective, it's indirectly because I'm never involved with the donor. Yeah, but I, I just love your heart for trying to fix a problem that obviously nobody else was working on. And this is one of those topics as a as a ministry leader. It's so difficult to especially if you're working full time staff on church, regardless of what your position is, if you're connecting with these givers and uh, trying to do your best to disciple them, because that's what it is. It's discipleship. It's not anything else. Amen. But you're dealing with some of the most difficult things that they deal with. We know that wealthy people don't struggle with the same things, but they do struggle uh, when it comes to money. You know, the, the less wealthy, let's say, struggle with trying to figure out what lifestyle to live. The wealthy don't struggle with that. They, they have enough money to live whatever lifestyle they choose. They struggle with other things, things like, how do I keep my kids from completely becoming useless and unproductive because they never have to work a day in their lives? So they, they have a completely different set of challenges. And here's the beauty of this. The Bible has answers to those questions, too, and can help them, can disciple them, because wealth is not a curse. It's a blessing, but it can be very difficult. And so it takes, I think, a cooperation between the pastor that teaches and preaches and ministers to them and disciples them. But then their financial planner, if that person is a believer in cooperation with the church, can help to fully disciple this person and give them the opportunity to live out their purpose, their calling, and get involved in the ministry of moving the gospel forward. So I love that you stepped outside of your role and said, how can I do more? How can I help inform some of these ministry and church leaders to understand that they're missing something that could potentially bring significant amount of resources into the kingdom. But more than that, it can help these people actually live out their purpose. And Amen. Be generous. I've, and always, I've always said that financial freedom Folks that don't have wealth and particularly folks that might be struggling financially um, can kind of live with the delusion that money would solve all of the problems. Right. But financial freedom is never a function of how much money somebody has. It yeah. is always and only a function of how free somebody is, how much money they give away, because you have to be really free financially 
to start giving a radical amount of money to the kingdom. And you think of like the collapse of the market in 2008, 2009, the meltdown, and even the COVID meltdown, it was quick, but 30 Mm -hmm. some percent drop in the market. Right. People that didn't have money were not worried about that nearly as much as the people had a bunch of money invested and were watching so it disappear. Yep. But yeah, it's, that's the one thing I try to encourage um, church leaders and ministry leaders, because we all have budgets. And so fundraising, whether we like that word or not, but that's that's a necessary part of the work that we do. But as you said, it's not it's discipleship. It's, it's not this isolated practice. And our, our work is not. It's not to funnel money into the church uh, or even just into the kingdom for the sake of the money coming in. It's for the sake of freedom for the giver, because Mm -hmm. no one will ever experience as much joy with God's money by accumulating as they Mm -hmm. will immediately by becoming more generous. So true. So true. Now, in your role as a financial advisor uh, to somewhat wealthy Christian families, uh, are there any particular trends that you've noticed, either positive or negative? In regards to generosity, have you either really excited or somewhat concerned? I mean, what do you see when you're counseling or, or talking to these wealthy Christians? What, one trend that has me extremely excited, I feel like I've been waiting almost 20 years to see it develop, uh, but uh, is legacy giving. Mm. It's, it's becoming much more common for God's people, especially my baby boomer generation and older, as we think through our estate plans to make a commitment with joy and excitement to say some portion of this estate, I'm going to leave to the kingdom. Yeah. Um, it's, it had always amazed me how um, in the course of my career, almost every client that we've ever introduced this idea to, they joyfully do yeah. it. Yeah. But a lot of times, sometimes these are the most generous people I've ever met in my life. It's not that they didn't want to. It never occurred to them. Right. Nobody ever been taught. Yeah. Um, so I'm seeing now uh, more and more churches, um, financial planning ministries, which is an incredible resource for the church, mm-hmm. uh, the counsel that we're giving, kingdom advisors, more and more Christian advisors giving counsel in this area. Yeah. Um, I am incredibly excited about the prospects for this, this pending huge wealth transfer, um, just how willing and joyful God's people are about saying, yeah, I've, I've been trying to be generous with my income my whole life. Why would I pass into eternity and not leave that legacy gift behind to continue some of the work? So that, that's been really exciting to me. And one of the side benefits to the church and to ministries that we've been, and we, again, we've been experiencing this for decades. Once we help a client identify their finish line and they make a commitment to leave a significant amount of resources to the kingdom at death, our next automatic question is, wouldn't it be more fun to give this away while you're alive to enjoy the blessing and the fruit? So, cause sometimes churches and ministries, legacy giving is on the radar but they're like, I don't want to focus resources, time and attention on trying to secure future gifts. Um, and, and I'm happy to be the one out there challenging God's people to to make sure the kingdom is part of their their estate plan. Mm-hmm. But almost always what happens is that 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 pile of resources start. It increases current giving. Yeah. Uh, so it's in my mind, it's a place that we have the responsibility to make sure we're providing discipleship. Uh, because obviously we are the wealthiest generation probably of Christians that has ever lived. 
uh, here in the United States. And it's all, those resources are going to pass somewhere in the next 40 years. Uh, and I can't imagine that God has entrusted them to us for some reason other than to finish the work he's given us to do. So that's, a, in my mind, one of the most positive trends I've seen is the legacy giving. But I, I would say the, the negative trend, the, the one that really concerns me, is the how ineffective my generation has been at passing down the legacy gene to the next generations. Mm, yeah. So statistically, um, the, my parents' generation was way more generous than the baby boomers. Mm -hmm. The baby boomers, we've mastered the art of straddling the fence between generosity and materialism yeah. because we are so wealthy that we can continue to increase our giving without any adverse impact on lifestyle or accumulation. Yeah, yeah. And in current American culture, unfortunately, when you're a big giver, you're treated as a celebrity by ministries and sometimes churches and you're given mm -hmm. favor treatment. That unfortunately is the way that it is. Yeah. So I, I could be made to feel like I'm incredibly generous and all I'm doing is tithing, but yeah. my income keeps going up. So my giving keeps going up. Um, I mean, I, I would not want anybody I ever counseled to have to stand before Jesus and explain dying with $20 million of his money that yeah. he gave them knowing they were never going to need it or use it in this lifetime. Mm. But so many baby boomers are really expressing concern about they're not seeing the same level of commitment in the next generation. And, and if I if I could, I'm sorry to talk so long. On no, you're good. You're good. But there, there, there's one thing, or at least one obvious thing to me that parents can do, that my generation can do to try to stimulate the giving gene in the kids. Because I think what we're doing is we, we don't just want our kids to be generous like we're seeking to be generous. We want them to be interested in the same causes that we're interested in. Yes. And typically they're not. Mm -hmm. um, and the other piece is my generation has, for the most part, been very comfortable writing checks as a way of supporting the mission. Yep. The next generation by and large is not wired the same way. Mm -hmm. I, I do a lot of discipleship with young men in their twenties and thirties. It's not that they are not generous or don't care. They want to experience the ministry and see it working personally yeah. before they're willing to start writing checks. So, and the parents are trying to get them to give money away and nobody's encouraging them to volunteer and engage their time first because mm. these younger folks, when they look into the eyes of the ministry beneficiary, when they see lives being changed, that's the thing that motivates generosity. Right. Where my generation was willing to just write a check, sometimes to a fault, I don't want to roll up my sleeves and get involved, but I'm happy to give money. Yeah. So the next generation, I have tremendous hope for because I've seen it effectively transitioned. Uh, but that's one of the trends in the country. Um, according to the Great Evangelical Recession, uh, the research compilation, four different studies, it's been projected that church giving, evangelical giving is, is likely, it's on track to decline by 70% in the next 25 to 30 years, which yeah. is horrifying to me because the wealth is ever expanding and increasing and it's going to be passed down at some point. Mm -hmm. So that's an issue. That's a trend that we really need to correct. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I've, I've actually been focusing probably over the last year on several giving uh, surveys and statistics that, that I've come across. And 
and is troubling to me. And I'm a Gen Xer, so I'm just right behind you. Um, but I have kids that are in their mid to late 20s now. And my conversations with them and with their friends, because, you know, as they talk, we talk, and I, I, get, I get a sense of how they're thinking. And at the same time, I look at the giving, and I am just like you, very concerned, because not only do we have increased wealth and materialism, but that has a negative impact on the people that are in the church, the young people that are in the church today, because the old style of giving and fundraising doesn't appeal to them. They are generous by design. Uh, I think some of the studies that I've seen, 60 to 70% of them somewhere in there give on a regular basis, but only 7% give to the church. So, so you're right. The decline to give in the church has, uh, is significant. I mean, we, the, the trends there, if you're interested, if you're listening to this, just do a little bit of search on Google and you'll find plenty of articles to, to show this trend, real data that shows that this is a problem. And in fact, this is something that CSN has been focusing on, both from the content we're developing, some of the blogs. We actually have a, a webinar coming up on May 19th, just in a, in a couple of weeks, to focus on this. How do we communicate these values of stewardship and generosity to the younger generation, to, to the young people in their teens and 20s who feel less and less connected to the church because the old style of both the teaching and the impact and the engagement that they have is just not something they're used to. You know, it's interesting to me, they've never known a world without having a smartphone in front of them and being able to Google anything. Mm -hmm. So they can, they can get whatever information they want. So it's not a lack of information. It's how it's being offered. They have more information. They just don't know how to decipher through it. And when it comes to discipleship, and it comes back to discipleship, they want to do it on one-on-one. -on -one. They mm -hmm. want to do it in a group setting. They want to talk it out. They don't want somebody in a pulpit to say, give because that's what God's word says. Great. They're not disagreeing with that, but it doesn't make sense to them. Yeah. They don't understand it. They don't, you know, they don't buy it, <laughs> frankly, because the statistics show that. I am just as passionate about this as you are. And we're doing everything we can to, to start to speak into that. Because I think if the ministry, especially CSN, you know, we're a bunch of older guys, unfortunately, uh, and mostly men, unfortunately. So we do look at this and say, how can we begin to help younger men and women understand that this is not just old man, 40, 50s ministry? No, this is, this is discipleship, one of the most important topics that we have to wrestle with. And that's money and wealth and resources. And stewardship is at the central part of who we are as believers and what we do for Christ. So I, I love that you've been thinking about this and that you're, you're actually doing something about it. So thank you. Thank you so much for doing that. So how about um, churches and ministry leaders you work with in recent years? Any trends you've observed with regards to how effective we have or haven't been with discipling folks in the area of stewardship and generosity? How are you seeing that? I'm very encouraged uh, by CSN as an example, but th that there, uh, there are a growing number of churches that recognize we need to be much more intentional in this area. Mm. Um, when, you, when you read through the Gospels, I always thought it was interesting that when Jesus said, no servant can serve two masters, you're going to love the one, hate the other, yeah. that he picked God and money. There, we have other vices. We have other sin problems. There are dozens of things he could have picked. Mm -hmm. But what he lifted up is a significant um, kind of basically the idol that vies for our attention right. was money. And, and yet, despite how much it's talked about in the Gospels, 
it's probably one of the least talked about in the pulpit. Yes. And I mean, a lot of pastors that I've spoken with over the years, they know that if they want to trigger hate mail, all they have to do is preach anything that sounds like they're suggesting people be more generous. Yeah. Um, and part of the reason is because it's not ever been a consistent part, not not a steady diet. But right. if Jesus if Jesus was concerned enough about it to say you, you can't serve both and this is one that is going to try to draw you away. I'm I'm guessing he would expect that we would be dealing with it more intentionally and aggressively because, you know, our the members of our congregations, uh, all Ron Blue clients, we're bombarded. Our kids and our grandkids, they're bombarded 24 hours a day with messaging about the world's financial system, Mm -hmm. consumerism, materialism, greed, covetousness, having more is better, borrowing as much, borrowing as much as you can to have as much as you want now. Yeah. Like that's 24 hours a day. It's nonstop. And we can't combat that with the once a year sermon at budget time, when everybody knows the only reason I'm hearing the sermon is because we're going to be asked to pledge money for next year. Um, It's, it is an ongoing money and greed and materialism is going to be pulling at us and our folks. It's an ongoing battle and, and our folks need to have a steady kind of a steady diet of stewardship discipleship. So organization like CSN that, I mean, stewardship pastors in general, I mean, 20 years ago, you didn't hear of many churches that were focusing resources in this area. Right. So that that movement is hugely encouraging to me. The the most discouraging trend that I've seen, and, and this is both in churches and parachurch ministries, is what I would call the transactional approach to fundraising. Mm-hmm. So churches don't talk about stewardship. They don't teach people about generosity and stewardship of all resources, not, not just giving. Um, it won't be talked about for two or three years until there's a capital campaign. Right. Then there's a campaign. And for the most part, the folks don't take it seriously because they know this is a gigantic ask. That's the only reason we're doing it because mm-hmm. pastor didn't talk about it last year, the year before that it's, it's a little bit, that facilitates the transactional approach to fundraising. Yeah. I need money now for this purpose, and I would like for you to pledge money to it. And then even when that's gone, it was not a stewardship or heart change or transformation. It yeah. was your church needs your help. Can you provide your help? Most parachurch ministries, almost every faith-based consulting firm, I've either sat under their presentation or interacted with their leaders they're all promoting the transactional approach because when they're hired for consulting, they have to show that they move the giving needle. So there's this huge push toward transactional fundraising that doesn't engage at the heart level. It actually turns off wealthy Christian donors. Nobody ever goes back and measures the collateral damage from that approach. I've encouraged so many ministries that have done that. They hit the giving goal and everybody's high-fiving and the consultant's a hero because they hit the number. They never go back and measure how many donors have we lost over the three years of this campaign yeah, good point. because they're so offended by the way that we approached it. So mm-hmm. as you said, Leo, discipleship discipleship is the answer. And it's the only answer. That's why that's the model Jesus gave us. But this transactional approach, selling almost approach has crept into evangelical culture and that's one of the reasons that folks are not being as generous as in, in their heart they probably desire to be. Yeah, I, I agree. And also, I think 
uh, you know, going back to talking about the younger generation, when you don't talk about finances from a perspective that helps them understand it, both from a biblical perspective and a practical one, so that in somehow in a positive way helps them to achieve that financial freedom you talked about, that they are, again, because freedom, financial freedom is not a number. It's not how much money you have in the bank. It's not all of that. It's living within your means. It's, it's what Ron Blue made famous many years ago, you know, that you, you spend less than you earn, you invest a difference for a long period of time. So if you can get to that place where you're living within your means, you're, you're cognizant and aware of how much money God's entrusted to you, that it did, it did come from him mm. and that, that, that he's expecting you to manage it well and you will have to give an account. If you're not doing that on a regular basis and all of a sudden you're doing a big campaign and asking them to give, and sometimes that gift is, well, we're going to build this big building because more people need to come to Jesus. And they're like, well, great. There's going to be a lot more people like me that aren't being taught about important things. And I, I'm, I don't want to be difficult or hard on pastors, but this is one topic that you and I agree with and many, many of our audience that we just don't talk about it enough. And when we do talk about it, it's looked upon as suspicious. Why are you all of a sudden talking about it? What is it that you want? Because you're not talking about it on a regular basis to help me. You're talking about it only when you want something. Mm-hmm. And that's that's disingenuous. It's mm-hmm. it's self-serving. And people are put off by that because they see it as, oh, okay, this is about you. This is about your vision, your your needs. I'm just a pawn. And I hate that. I hate that people in our churches feel that way, that I feel that way sometimes. And because my pastor, whom I love, is, is afraid about talking about it. And I'm like, look yeah, there's going to be some people are going to leave. And you know what? They're probably the ones that are causing the most problems and most drama right now anyways. Let them go. Yeah, right. Just right. start talking about it. Don't worry about the ramifications. If you're doing it for the right reason, people will respond. And over time, they'll realize this is the most wonderful thing that this pastor can do is to equip me in this area because it's helped me a ton. I recently went through a study with some kingdom advisor folks and Howard Dayton led this group. It's called Charting Your Legacy. And it was a 10-week study, a six-week study, excuse me, uh, on this. And just to see the the spiritual depth that we all gain through the six weeks of interacting. Mm-hmm. And people want and need that. It didn't make our checkbooks go any higher. If anything, it challenged us, you know, whether we need to have as much in our savings accounts <laughs> as we do. Because it makes you really look at this and say, what am I living for? And that's what you want. You want people to constantly go and look in the mirror and say, am I truly following Jesus or am I just using Jesus as a crutch? Right. You know? right. And, and people, younger generation, I'm going to tell you, Jim, because I have kids that age right now and they want genuine. They're not going to put up with this you know, facade. They just don't buy it and yeah. they're walking away from it. And it's sad because not only I think is the church in danger of losing the resources to operate, they're losing the young people who are the future leaders that would be there to actually run the church. Right, right. And that's, not, that's a double not, double danger there. Not to mention the generation that is going to inherit the majority of the resources. Oh, yes, of course. Boy, that's scary. Because yeah. no, none of us are going to take it with us. It's going to pass on. Right, and, right. And if we're not, and, and you said something that's really near and dear to, me, to my heart, which is the estate planning side. If we're not careful to educate people today, people like my age, your age, that in the next 15, 20, 30 years, we're going to pass on. And we're not educating them that they should and can support the kingdom of God and his works beyond their, their grave, right? Mm-hmm. By making sure that they assign some of those, that wealth to worthy causes, instead of just giving it to their kids, who they didn't teach how to manage money, will more than likely 
not be blessed by it, but potentially be cursed because they'll, it'll be a danger to them. It'll be a, yeah. something that will cause issues in their lives. Yeah. So, yeah, I think we're, we're speaking about the same things. And, and I think it's worthwhile to speak about these things. That's why I wanted you to come on to talk about this, because even though you're in a slightly different position than, than I am and some of our church leaders are, yet you're talking to the same people. You're talking mm-hmm. to Christian believers who God has resourced and they need to be discipled and they need to be uh, helped to understand how to live out their purpose. So mm-hmm. I love it. All right. So as we land this plane, let's talk about your upcoming webinar. Uh, it's Maximizing Generosity Through Donor Discipleship. Uh, again, remind us the date and the time, as well as uh, tell us a few topics you'll be discussing so that our listeners can determine whether or not this is something they should uh, find helpful. Uh, well, the webinar is Thursday, May 27th. So just a few weeks out from mm-hmm. 1030 in the morning until noon Eastern time. And uh, there are a couple of things I'll be talking about. One is contrasting the two prominent um, fundraising models used in the church and parachurch mm. ministries, uh, because one, one has become very dominant. And unfortunately, it's the one that wealthy Christians really loathe. Um, so I'll present the two models and the differences between the two, just so everybody has kind of clearly in their head what model is most effective from a, from a standpoint of helping people really inspire greater generosity. Mm. Um, and a few of the topics that, again, this comes from the feedback that we've been getting over the years in terms of what do donors want from the church leaders and the ministries that they're giving to what type of relationship, what type of feedback, um, who are they, what do they want, what don't they want, what are the things that are being done that are causing donors to stop giving completely, mm. um, and, and what are they concerned about, uh, a number of things that they pretty consistently express concern about with regard to their giving and deciding where where to give. Um, and then I'll finish with uh, four hindrances to major gifts because I've, it's another thing I've observed many times where wealthy Christians who are ramping up their generosity committed to starting to give away at levels they've never given before. Mm-hmm. There are certain things that can happen in that process that actually stop them from making major gifts to church or to ministries that they're engaged with. So I'll mm-hmm. talk about some of those factors that are a hindrance. That's great. It sounds like a, a wonderful opportunity for, for our audience to to get educated, understand this perspective, because as most of these leaders are in the church, they have their perspective. They're looking at it from a different angle than you are. And you can come and really offer a lot of information that can help them to see it from the client or the member's perspective, which is so, so crucial because sometimes in ministry, we, we think we need to have the answer. So we say, just come and we'll tell you what you need to know, but we fail to ask or, uh, survey or you know have those focus groups to understand is this working for you or not and i love that your organization and what you're doing is able to actually speak to the other you know to to have that conversation that they would never have with the the ministry leader and then gain that insight and then offer that to the church so thank you so much for doing that now you've done this for a while you've you've trained over a thousand churches or church leaders and ministries in this training over the years so what kind of feedback uh, have you been getting from folks who have gone through this training. Tell us how it's benefited them. Uh, well, it's probably the most common feedback that I've gotten is folks Folks are really excited about the fact that all I'm doing is telling them what their, what their members and donors mm-hmm. want. 
I typically, I try to let folks know up front, I may say some things that are going to upset you, frustrate you, or you won't agree with, but absolutely everything I tell you is coming directly from the people that are most generous and really have part to fund the work. So whether we like it or not, this is coming directly from them. And as a result, I've, I've had, uh, many church leaders and ministry leaders that'll say, I've been, I've been going to fundraising, training, reading everything I could for 20, 30, 40 years. And I've never heard this stuff before, which scares me a little bit. But Mm. I think what happens is it's almost like groupthink because when our firm made a decision for me to allocate more of my time to serving ministries and church leaders um, a few years ago, I started sampling as much of the training that was out there in the faith-based space as I could, because I was thinking there there have to be things I don't know about it. And and surely there are, but I was really horrified by, again, even the faith-based consultants and trainers out there, everybody's pushing this transactional model. Like I knew from the donors that everything that's being taught to faith-based ministry leaders is absolutely wrong mm. in terms of if you actually want to engage the heart level and disciple folks, it doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, but that's probably been the most consistent feedback is just, um, I, I've never heard most of this stuff before. And I'm glad to at least have the perspective that I know comes directly from the people I'm trying to disciple. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I think this is going to be a wonderful opportunity for folks to really understand the member side of this, because as a church leader, I know it's always difficult to figure out, especially if you're, if you're a growing church and you have financial needs and you have vision and that needs to be funded, how to do it in a way that that's not transactional only, that it truly is discipleship. So I think for anyone that's considering attending this webinar, uh, I, I really do encourage you to attend this webinar because you will receive information from Jim that you probably won't get anywhere else. Cause again, you know, he just said it, the people in your church, the ones that you've been talking to, trying to inspire to give, trying to help them understand how they can make a, a difference in the church. They're not talking to you about what they're really feeling about that communication. They're talking to guys like Jim. And so it's important to understand that perspective and just come, come ready to learn, come ready to, to gain an insight that you may not be able to get anywhere else. So Jim, Thank you so much for doing this. Again, the webinar is going to be on Thursday, May 27th from 1030 to 12 p.m. Eastern time. And we'll put a link in the show notes and we'll also do some uh, some marketing for this so that you all that are listening to this podcast would uh, hear about it and have a ability to just click the link and register. We do encourage you to come. Uh, I think you'll be blessed by it. Jim, thank you so much for, first of all, just for what you're doing, for your heart, for really moving this ministry forward of inspiring generosity, helping people to live as disciples and generous followers of Jesus. Uh, I just, I love your heart behind this and, uh, and also just for taking a little bit of time today to be with us. And I'm looking forward to that webinar. I'm already registered and looking forward to, to learning. Thanks, Leo. It's uh, I love your heart as well and appreciate you and I are definitely wired the same way. So I appreciate getting to spend this time with you. Great. Well, love to have you back as you continue to do this at some point and give us another update on how you're doing. Surely will. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this Stewardship Leader podcast. I hope you found this information helpful. And if you did, do us a huge favor and share it with a church or ministry leader. This ministry exists to equip and train leaders to talk about this topic of finances and 
discipleship and generosity. And we want to equip your pastor or your leader, the, the teaching pastor of your church. So uh, share this podcast with them, have them join us for some of the events that we're doing. We have a lot of content online, podcasts, blogs, webinars that we're doing, and we would love to be a resource to them. So please do that. And while you're there, you can also review and leave us a, a five-star rating on Apple Podcast or Spotify or wherever you're listening. We would appreciate that so that more people find out about Christian Stewardship Network. And if you want to learn more about us, you can find us at christianstewardshipnetwork.com. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time on Stewardship Leader. <laughs>